0: And I preached to you this morning uh, with some concern. And um, I pray that uh, this did come up in the um, prayer revival. I want us to pray not just for Pentecostal churches, but we need to pray for every church in our area. Um, I'm concerned about Pentecostal churches. But at this point in my life, I'm concerned about every church. Um, That that revival and spiritual awakening uh, would take place in every congregation. And uh, we're at the end. We are literally at the end. And uh, if you have what's called a dispensational view of prophecy everything that's taking place in the Middle East, everything that's taking place with Russia and Ukraine and various things, all of that is very clear laid out to us in, by the prophet Daniel, also by the prophet Ezekiel, and then Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew twenty-four, twenty-five, Mark 13, Luke 21. We, this thing's winding up. And I think that if you're feeling the drawing presence of the Lord, there's a reason for that. It's because He's stirring who He will. At the same moment, it's very scary what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica whenever he said, there will be a falling away. And uh, we must make sure that we are not part of that falling away Amen and so this morning I do preach with uh, some of that concern that I have uh, in my heart and I would like uh, for you to look with me to, to Exodus chapter 19 and I'd like to begin in verse 9 Exodus chapter 19 and verse 9 the Lord, or the Bible, says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the Lord, or the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, He shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mountain. And um, I want to preach to you here this morning about the blessing of a border. The blessing of a border. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts and our minds here this morning. Our gracious God, Your presence is here. I pray, Lord, that You use Your Word to, Lord, convict us. Lord, that You would draw us in. And that Jesus, that some way, before we walk out of this sanctuary, Lord, that You have would have imprinted something in our hearts and in our minds. Oh, I pray, Lord, today, save us, Lord, from this untoward generation. Help us, God, to walk faithfully. I pray, Lord, today, God, if there are those in this room that have not been converted, or, Lord, that needs a renewal of the Holy Ghost, I ask you, Lord, today, God, that you would let that take place as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> and um I can remember a number of years ago whenever I was in high school, and I don't I'm certain high school has changed. It's been a long time ago that I graduated. And um, but there was a English teacher that we had and she made us memorize poems and of course as an 11th grader and a 12th grader and you're wanting to be cool and and all that you scoff um, behind the scenes at having to memorize poems and I was no different in that but as I got out of high school and and got away from the peer pressure and from the nitwits I started appreciating Ms. Little making us memorize some of those poems. One of those poems we had to memorize was that famous poem by Robert Frost called Mending Wall. You're probably, most of you, familiar uh, with that. Something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun. And makes gaps even two can pass abreast. And there's quite a bit more to it, but it goes on. Before I build a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. And the story of the poem is two men, two neighbors, one that has pine trees, the other has apple trees, and they're trying to keep the pines out of the apples and the hunters and all that, and they put the wall back together and they work that wall once a year. And at the last, they say it like this, and he likes having thought of it so well, he says again that good fences make good neighbors. The text that I read to you here this morning in Exodus 19, the Bible uh, tells us that Israel has now made its way out uh, of Egypt and they have come to this point and And now that they are in the wilderness, somewhere around three months or so that they've been here and now God determines that he's going to meet with, with Moses But he set some boundaries, he set some parameters, and he, in the process of that, he said, Moses, these boundaries or these parameters are not only going to just affect you, but they're going to affect the children of Israel as as well. And whenever you start looking at what takes place whenever God calls uh, a man or a woman, we have to consider that, that whenever God meets with us, there are some things that that they must take place in our lives. Now earlier in that chapter there, verses 7 through 9, here is what we see that, that God reveals himself and now man is summoned. I'm God's saying, I'm revealing myself to you, but I'm not just going to let it stop at revelation. What I want you to do is I want you to, to come toward me, and, and here's what we discover, that first there comes a call, and then comes the revelation. What, what does that look like? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's what it looks like. First is the call, here, O Israel, and then is the revelation, the Lord thy God is one Lord. We look to the New Testament and we find that there is uh, another call. It goes like this This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him and then it begins to unfold and we read the gospels and we understand how uh, that the Lord unfolds his plan. And so we know that when God reveals himself, he, he doesn't just leave it there. He wants people to come along with him in that matter. And then we read here in uh, verses 10 through 15, there's something else that I noticed there, and that's this, is that when God reveals himself, then a man has to be prepared for that revelation and this morning in the lesson Brother Wells taught that matter about repentance that when the Lord comes to us there is something about it that, that this world has to be put in the rear view mirror we have to walk away from things that used to bind us and, and to hold to us and so when God reveals himself then man has to be prepared for that revelation that gives rise to what he tells Moses to do. And he says, I want you to put up some boundaries. I want you to put up some boulders there. And so if, if you are going to prepare your home for a special guest and you do that, you vacuum, you mop, you weed eat, you edge, you do all of those sorts of things whenever you have guests that are coming uh, to your home, and, and I think that that should not be lost. That whenever we are inviting the Lord into our lives, that there are some things that have to change. There are some things that must take place that we have to give ourselves too and so you you start asking yourself how do these things take place well it, it is accomplished by hearing uh, a man who tells you that God is coming that the Lord is moving into that area of your life it's accomplished I believe by a hunger for personal purity and and I'll just I'll just go ahead and lay it out here for you I'm going to uh, use this kind as a leaping off message. I won't preach every time that that I'm preaching about this, but the summer's coming, and I have been drawn into a number of books and and reading through the Bible, and even in personal prayer. The prayer revival that we had here uh, two weeks ago was 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 refreshing to me. And uh, there there's no way that you can effectively lead a church, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a spiritual leader, that, that if there's an absence of prayer in what's taken place, that church, it will not be successful. There may be a crowd, but there will not be a church in that and Paul or Luke rather whenever he wrote uh, the account in Acts 6, 4 here's what he said that the apostles said that that we're going to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and I just believe that our generation needs to understand the word about holiness and about personal purity and then instead of looking at it in a way of saying somebody's trying to control me and somebody is trying to give me a list of rules. Oh, it's more than that. It is somebody that's trying to talk to you to say move out of this world and move into a place of relationship with the Lord. I believe it's accomplished by obedience to the commands of God. And I believe that that whenever God steps into our lives, that that there has to be a readiness that's in our part that begins to say, this is what you must do and this is how that you must, must live. But the Bible tells us some of those. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Here's what the Bible says. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls if we are willing to take that verse at at, at large at what he's saying that, that the engrafted word needs to get in to our heart and we do everything we can to culture and to work toward letting that get in our hearts and in our spirits I promise you that the seed can begin to grow there in our hearts. But look with me there to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 12. Here's what uh, Moses writes. He says, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about saying, take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. The New International Version says it like this. It says that there are some limits that you ought to set there, Moses. The Living Bible says that there are some boundary lines that should be placed there. The New American Standard says that there are borders, but I like what Moffat's translation, an old translation back from the early 1900s. Here's what James Moffat said. He said, I want you to do it like this. I want you to mark off the mountain. And that's what the Lord was telling Moses. He was saying, look, Moses, there are some things that's going to take place on this mountain that I'm literally going to change the trajectory of what Israel is doing. Not only will there be the Ten Commandments, but there's going to be a tabernacle that I'm going to give to you, and it's going to affect the way you worship. It's going to affect the way that you sacrifice. Everything about your life is about to change, and it's going to be on a holy mountain And so he said, here's what's got to take place. You've got to set some boundaries around that holy mountain there these boundaries were set up so that they would cause men to be in a place of safety. The borders that were there were not to limit a man, but they rather weren't to save him. And we live in a day now where that, that the cries come especially from the religious world that whenever you start talking about matters of holiness, they want holiness to be some kind of some kind of academic intellectual idea, but whenever a preacher starts talking about the matter of these are the ways that you are supposed to walk then people start accusing them of legalism and and rule tending and rule minded but I'm just going to bring this to your attention if you've been keeping up I've been vaguely keeping up with uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial that's going on they're bringing out all sorts of chaos and garbage out of that and yet here's our US United States which bows down to the altar at Hollywood these are the kind of people that you're saying that they're role models for you, their marriages are in shambles, their personal lives are not something that I would want to honor and tell my children, hey guys, y'all need to follow in this path and yet when preachers stand up and start calling things out like that, people say, oh I'm going to express my Christian liberty and be involved in that, there are old fashioned and I know Jim. and its dad, I'm certain, was like this in year old Pentecostal preachers that would stand up and they would say, "We can't go in that direction." Then there's a call for holiness. Then there's got to be some boundaries that you have in your life here's the part where that when crisis hits you in your life that I'm afraid that what happens when the world gets into our hearts that we can't immediately engage and begin to pray that we begin to spend time 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour trying to repent and trying to empty out all of the garbage that we've come in contact with and Moses was saying listen there's got to be some boundaries that you have in your life that's It's going to affect what you say. It's going to affect what you think. It's going to affect what you watch. It's even going to affect who you fellowship with. And yet our day, people, when I preach like this, people want to say, oh, that's that's legalistic. That's that's rule-minded. But I'm going to tell you, the church has to have some boundaries in this world because a church that loses its identity will lose its message. And that is the challenge of 21st century Christianity is that we're at a place where the church has lost its identity and that there's not much Power that's involved in that, and there is that that part you you've heard this before, that, that some some uh, man came along and he said, you know what? He said we 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 don't have to say this. What Peter and John said in Acts uh, three, silver and gold uh, have none. And uh, that was said to some, one elder said that to another, he said, hey, he said, you can't say that anymore, we, we've got money, we've got silver and gold. And he said, yeah, we've traded it off because we can't say such as I have, give I thee, there is something about it. Then whenever we fall into the trap of silver and gold, we trade some things off. Now we have to realize as a church that there's some boundaries and parameters that comes up. Here's some lessons that I want to point out to you here this morning. Number one is that it was Moses' job to set the bounds up for the people, and and so the determination of of where that mountain was to start was up was was up to Moses. Moses, the Lord didn't tell him uh, come out a half a mile, come out three quarters of a mile. He didn't tell Moses that. He said Moses, he said, I just want you to know this that that mountain is a dangerous place, and what you've got to. Understand understand is you've got to set some boundaries and and you've got to put these things up because here's what's going to take place. If those boundaries are not in a good place, then it's going to create death. There's other words he uses there. He talks about sanctify what does that mean that means make holy sanctification I mentioned that to you before justification sanctification and then glorification but but here is again that the the for the sake of safety Moses he wouldn't have placed that boundary just right up there just close to the mountain he wouldn't do that he he would set it back because there was a part where he said, "I want to create a a margin of safety." And I again, I've been reading some books, and uh, some of them are written by uh, some older men that that are they're they're dead now, and. And uh, one of those things was talking about how that, that uh, back in the 50s and the 60s, the, uh, what was called the fundamentalist movement, I have to say that, that probably a lot of Pentecostals fell in that uh, category whether they wanted to say they did or not, but, but what was it that marked that time is there were clear-cut boundaries that you would hear people talking about smoking and drinking, and, and uh, I remember as a kid, y'all not to listen to country music, and you ought not to go to theaters and you ought not to, this is great, play cards and and uh, they, then people laughed and mocked at that kind of stuff but here's what's taking place here's what's happening is the borders they keep moving and they keep changing and they keep going and, and you turn around and you look and things that, that 20 years ago people were, were not involved in but now it's oh this is my Christian liberty but here is the challenge is that there is a quality of worship that takes place in churches that are willing to say we want to go an extra mile we want to do everything we can to cast off the unfruitful works of darkness and we want to move away from that world that when you walk into that place then there is obviously a work of the Holy Ghost that's going on there and you can tell that people that they know how to pray no I don't want a big church but I want a praying church and I want to worship in church and I want a church whenever people walk in that if they are burdened by things that they can begin to feel the lift and the touch of the Holy Ghost in that and hear me church, there is a price tag that's going to be involved in that there's a price tag and some of that price tag is you're going to have to allow a pastor and, 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 and a bishop, you're going to have to allow them to set some boundaries in your life and you're going to have to get out of the place to say, oh, they're trying to control me. Oh, no, I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to pull you into a place because we're at the end, church. We are at the very end and you need to toss everything you can out of your heart out of your spirit oh Jesus help me I thank God for the boundaries brother Patterson set in my life I thank God that I had parents that that they said we're going to follow in with what brother Patterson's preaching and and I can remember times I'd always use this well everybody else is doing it my dad like who is everybody else let me move on. Clock's ticking, Brother Wells. Uh, number two. Here's the second thing. If anybody broke through that border that Moses set, be they man or beast, the Bible said they were going to be killed. The offender stoned or thrust through with a dart. And here's what is interesting about that: is God honored the line. He honored that. He said, Moses, you set up the boundary and I'm going to honor that part and that thing there. And we've got to understand that, that whenever God came down that mountain there, that unimaginable glory and power was revealed there to those people. You read about that in the book of Exodus and then you can fast forward into the New Testament and you can find it all woven into the book of Hebrews where the glory and the power of God was there There in that place, and yet the entire mountain quaked in the presence of a holy God and was engulfed by that great crowd. Now, later on, if you think that what happened, and there there were several things that happened. Uh, They they found Aaron. Uh, Aaron, he'll build us a golden calf. You can find anybody, whether it was then or anybody now, you can find them to make a golden calf for you to dance around and worship. Go, go! There's somebody in the wire grass. There's somebody in the state of Alabama. There's somebody around here that can build a golden calf for you to be able to worship if that is what you so choose to do. But it's going to end up being bad. And then later, somebody sent them a text. I'm trying to hurry off. Send a text to the kids and tell them to hold them up for just a little bit. Um, I'm hurrying. Y'all quit looking at the clock. And you need to come back every time. You come back, you come back next Sunday and you come back tonight and you just say that. Just say it louder. Um. But... Here, here, here's here's another thing that happened, and that is uh, two characters in in uh, Leviticus. I think it's Leviticus ten. Nadab and Abihu. They were told you you manage this fire on the altar, and they let the thing go out, and so they tried to. The Bible says get strange fire together, and the Lord took their lives. That's what I'm trying to prevent. Is prevent golden calves and prevent strange fire and the only way that happens is for a church and a group of people to say we've got some borders and we've got some boundaries and there are some things that we've got to get out of our head that that's not legalism it's holiness it's biblical separation from the world it affects the quality of the spirit it affects the quality of my prayer it affects the quality of my heart Whenever that word falls in and hits my spirit, but out of that great cloud there on the mountain came thunder and lightning and the sound of heavenly trumpets. But above those terrifying sounds was utterly the overpowering voice of God that was speaking up there to Moses. And here's what Moses said. Moses said, I myself exceedingly fear and quake. How long has it been since you have felt the fear of God? Our generation has lost the fear of the Lord. We have lost it. Romans 1, Paul's writing, he said, there is no fear of God in their eyes. So what happens when you have no fear of God in your life? You come and go in the house of the Lord with all sorts of sin, all sorts of muck that's down in your spirit. You know why? It's because there is a loss in the fear of God. But what did Moses say? He said, I myself exceedingly have fear and I quake. Imagine the glory and the shaking and the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the trumpets and the very voice of God there. You, you would think that with that much power of God, that if anybody broke through the border, then the Lord would have smote them. But God said, I'm not going to do that. And so here's what's scary. As the Lord insinuated, I tell you what, let them break through the barrier. I'm not going to smite them and, and I'm not going to take their life with, with, my, with my power with my glory. But he, he said, here's what I'll do. He said, I'll just withdraw. I'll just step back. I'll just step back. And, uh, and whenever I step back, what I'll do is I'll take my glory with me. And what'll happen is this. The Lord says, if it isn't important enough for you to protect it, then I'm simply going to remove it. You say, I want a New Testament principle for that. I've got, I've got seven of them, and they're in Revelation two and three. And here's what the Lord said: said this to five of those churches. There, He said, I'm gonna. You don't get things straight. I'm, I'm gonna take my candlestick out. And I'm going to move, move, remove my candlestick from there. I realize today that there, I'm preaching to people that are under financial pressure. You're under job pressure. You're under mental pressure. There is anguish of spirit. And you walk in here and you say, oh dear God, it's a pastor that is yelling at me about holiness and separation from the world and a boundary. When, but think about what Peter said in First Peter chapter 1 verses 16, 15, 16, and 17. Think about this. He was writing to a church that literally were, they, they were being thrown in prison. They were being beheaded. They were a church under pressure. And here's what Peter's response to them was. Was be ye holy as I am holy. He didn't tell them to go picket at Rome. He didn't tell them to write to go boycott this or that. Or the the other he said I'm just going to tell you something that when the pressure comes on if you will be holy there will be a sustaining power of the Holy Ghost that will bring you through every challenge that you face and if it happened in the first century it can happen in the 21st century that whenever we feel the pressure, if there is a remarkable approach and devotion to holiness, oh, Jesus help that as we're drawn in, the Lord can work. There's people that says, and I'm talking about Pentecostal churches right now, That they say, where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? My response is, where's the borders? Where's the holiness? We're looking for healings, and God's looking for holiness. We're looking for miracles, and God's looking for separation. We're looking for wonders, and God's looking for people that will give themselves to prayer. and so what does those people look like they're going to love him they're going to make up his part of his bride they're going to walk in the bounds of his word they're going to somehow they they're, they're going to allow him to remove the stones of misconception they're going to take on his name and they're going to love it they're going to receive his spirit and they're going to walk in it they're going to love his glory and they're going to protect it they're going to do what is right in his sight and listen to me. I, I have got to be one of those pastors that walks in those ways. And I'm gonna tell you church, and brother Patterson was in here last night and he don't feel good and I'm worried somebody he needs some bloods what he needs but his doctor won't Listen to my advice. And and, uh, Brother Patterson here last night walking these rows. And here's what happens when you walk these rows. You're not just walking rows. You're walking through people. You're walking through families. And you call out names. And it's like, Lord, please. I want a mark of holiness. I want a mark of power. I want a mark of strength on this church and if that's to take place there's going to be some boundaries got a long illustration you can go check it out it's about the barbed wire and about how that man by the name of Joseph Glidden ended up creating that it's a pretty, pretty remarkable story but I want to conclude here's a picture in Proverbs of what happens to a a place it's a farm but you can say it's a church you can say it's a life you can say it's a person but here's what happens when neglect takes place proverbs chapter 24 verse 29 say not i will do so to him as he had done to me i will render to the man according to his work I went by the field of, of the slothful and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And a stone wall there was broken down and, and then I saw and I considered it well and I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth in thy want as an armed man. What if Achan would have had a border, would have saved his family? What if Saul would have had a border, would have saved his family and his throne? What if Samson would have had a border? It would have saved his eyes, and it would have saved the direction that his life went in. The broken borders, they do more than just affect us. It affects generations to come. I remember a story Brother Enzi told us when I was in Bible college, and this was in '92, so I was 25, uh, 26 years old. And then Brother Booker writes the same in his book, "What a difference a line can make." And at one of our general conferences back in uh, the '80s, there was a a pastor that the Lord started dealing with this man as a large church for a Pentecostal church, six between six and seven hundred, and uh, the Lord started dealing with this minister-pastor about uh, the drift of holiness in his church. And uh, they asked him to get up at general conference and to talk about that. So he got up and he said that the Lord used a very vivid lesson to him and He said that that on three different occasions, he said that God dealt with him about his displeasure, about the waning holiness that was there in that church. He, He didn't say how that God talked to him in the first two, but the second time, or the third time rather, he had bought a little... A little farm, so to speak, and out in that farm there were some uh, sheep there, and, and so the guy that sold him the sheep said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw some goats in, and the guy, pastor, he thought, man, that's nice. So said, I didn't realize it at the time, he said, but that was a word, he said, I should have shot those goats to start with, but, but what started happening was those goats started getting to the fence, and they would get through the fence, and he'd get there the next day, and all the sheep were out And so he fixed the fence, and and then he got frustrated, and he thought, well, if I move the fence just a little bit, uh, then it'll keep them in, but that didn't work. The goats kept picking through and and picking through, and finally he decided, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm just going to take the fence down, because on the back I've got a tree line, and and, uh, down on this side I've got dirt roads and ditches, and then in the front there's a dirt road and a big ditch. And he said, so those sheep, they will stay in the middle. Uh, Here and I won't have to worry about them, and so that's what he did. He just took the fences down, and uh, he said it a few days later. He said he got a call from his his ne man that was a neighboring owner, and uh, he told him he said, "Hey, pastor," he said, "I I, you've got a situation out here. He said you need to come uh, see about it, and." um, He said when he got out there, he said it was the most horrible thing he'd ever saw in his life. He said that he looked out there and he said there were sheep that were, some of them were dead. And he said others were just gutted. He said they were crying out. And he said he had a 22 pistol, so he just shot them right there and and killed those. Because what had happened during the night was a pack of wild dogs had had come in and just devastated that flock. Not only had they gotten the sheep, they had gotten the goats as well. And um, the pastor said while he was standing there in the middle of all that carnage, he said the Lord spoke to him. He said, uh, I going to tell you this. He said, see here, He said, here's what you don't understand. He said those fences that you're taking down in your church right now and the things that you're easing up on and the things that you're letting go the things you're turning loose, he said, what you don't realize is this. He said, things not only, fences not only keep things in, he said, but fences keep things out. I used that illustration several years ago whenever I was an executive president up in the Oregon district. I was preaching to a bunch of preachers, and uh, after I was done, it was an elder come up to me and I'm guessing this man was probably in his late 70s, early 80s. And uh, he said, Hey, he said, I need to tell you the rest of that story. He said, Because that pastor was a friend of mine. He said, He just kept letting down, letting down, letting down. And he said, That church imploded. He said, It's not even in existence now. And uh, he said, That pastor died. A very sad, dejected man because he was unwilling to stand up and have the courage that he needed to say, hey, here's the boundaries. Here's the fences. And we're not taking them down. I love this church. Periodically, I go over to the student building and walked through there. A lot of things that were shaped in my life, spiritually speaking, took place less than a hundred yards from where this pulpit is right now. I learned how to pray over there. I learned how to fast over there. I learned how to preach over there. But now, there's even more resoluteness in my heart and in my spirit to say, I'm not tearing any of the fences down. And that we still have got to be a praying church, even if there's times where we've got to pump and prime and crank. We live in a world that wants to shred your marriages. We live in a world that wants to shred your families. And what you don't realize right now are the things that you're hungering after and saying, I wonder what it would be like to get involved with this or that or the other. It seems so benign and so innocent that when you start walking in that direction, you never stop. I want us to stand this morning And so let me talk to you 20 and 30, and maybe some of you is just starting to bump to your 40s. You've got to get a hold of it for yourself. It can't be something that your parents had or your grandparents had, it's got to be something that you have and that you have to get into your heart and into your spirit. There's a price tag. I promise you. There's a price tag. But one of these days, the reward for faithfulness is going to be so worth it. I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to open these altars up. And I I wish every person in this sanctuary, whether you feel like you're a member of this church or not, I, I wish you would step up into this altar area. And whether you pray aloud or whether you pray silently, I pray that the presence of the Lord ministers to you here this morning. Oh, our gracious God, I ask you, Lord, today, Lord, that this word, this message, Lord, the whole service, Sunday school lesson, the singing, the praying, Lord, the preaching, that it somehow, Lord, would affect our hearts. I pray, God, that you give us a hunger for you, Lord, like we've never had before. Lord, our families depend, in Jesus, on what we do. I know, Lord, that salvation, Lord, is a personal issue. But I also know, Lord, that there can be an atmosphere, there can be a... Lord, an environment that can be created, Lord, that it caters to holiness. Lord, it moves to worship. I pray, God, that our church and our families, our homes, that, Lord, that you move us, Jesus, to that place. I pray, Lord, that today in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, these altars are open. Slip out from where you're at. Talk to the Lord. Maybe you want to put your hand on the person next to you.